I'm so glad that George has been preaching so incredibly well lately, so I can be incredibly messy this morning. So thank you, George. And my, my last point of my message is go and listen to all George's preachers. But I want to speak this morning about what does it look like to live in what Paul was speaking to Timothy, and he said, the goal of our command. What is the goal of our command? The goal of our command is love. And uh, I was speaking to someone this week, and uh, we were speaking about pace, and George has been introducing us and, and starting a conversation with us. What does it look like to get into the rhythms of Jesus' grace? What does it look like to come into the rhythm of His pace? You have to find His grace to get into His pace. And uh, because the pace of this world is in acceleration, and it's only increasing. We've seen some of those movies where it's on fast forward, and you see someone standing still, but everything around them is just in chaos. And you can't touch, you can't pause, you can't taste, you can't feel, you can't do anything because the pace of the world has just taken you over. And the reality of the kingdom of God is not the pace of this world. And in ever-increasing pace, we have to find the substance and the pace of the kingdom. Otherwise, you're going to get swept up into the pace of the world and its beliefs and its doctrines. So what does it look like to find this unforced rhythm of grace? So we can find the pace of life, so we can stop, so we can pause, so we can actually get involved in kingdom and the kingdom's motivation is love. And I was speaking to someone the other day, and like, listen, buddy, I, I'm battling to love my family, and you telling me the command is to love my neighbor. I can't. There's just no time. So what do we do if we've only got the allot of, allotted time per day? What do we do with that? Because you and I are responsible for what we give our lives to and our time to. So therefore, it's no one else's responsibility, it's not our boss, it's not the corporate, it's not the world system, it's you and I that have to find a rhythm and a pace in our own life that the world system no longer dictates to us. But it's not easy. You know, this thing, the, car, the, the command, this thing of loving God, loving others as you love yourself, it's not easy, is it? Why? Because we live in relationship with people. It would be easy if we're in isolation just loving God. But ultimately, the reflection of the true love of God and the demonstration of how Jesus walked and the reflection of the Spirit of God in us is how we are actually responding to others. So Paul says this in Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, we've, we can put it up. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God and Savior, and of Jesus Christ our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace. And I just speak grace, mercy, and peace over you. Paul just, he mentions that in the top of his letter. I think it's super important for the substance of our life. From God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Advancing the work of God is by faith. He says, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these, 
and have turned to meaningless talk. And then you can carry on. It's an incredible chapter as Paul is speaking to Timothy, his son, but he's like, listen, the goal of our command is to love because you're in a completely unloving environment. And he was then introducing the gospel to Ephesus. He wanted him to stay in Ephesus and the birth of the church in Ephesus. And it's reminded to us in Revelations, speaking to Ephesus, that we needed to return to the love of God, the return to the one who loved you first. So how do we return back to the highest priority or Jesus' motive for us if we're caught up in the world's pace? Because people still need to be loved. And I'm wanting to grind this down to the end and go, actually, can you and I respond to the love of God? Because it's only out of responding to the love of God where you're going to see yourself for who you really are. You're going to start accepting yourself, forgiving yourself, placing value on yourself, and giving yourself worth based on what the Father says about you. You love yourself in that place. It becomes an overflow where you love your neighbor. So a teacher of the law, he came to Jesus, and it's a a fascinating story because in Matthew 21, the... Pharisees were watching the Sadducees getting schooled by Jesus, and they were silent, so they tried, and the end of chapter 2, it says, and the Pharisees were silent, and no one ever questioned Jesus from that time on. So Jesus just schooled them. So he, they come to Jesus in an old covenant context where Jesus, you see the beauty of Jesus, Jesus was living in an old covenant dispensation living out the reality and a future reality for you and I to experience, which is called the new covenant. So he he was walking in the dispensation of the old covenant, revealing the new all the time, all the time, all the time, because he said, actually, the demonstration of me, the demonstration of the love of God, the law and the prophets will be ticked off completely. So he undid so much of the structure based around revealing the kingdom of God. And, and this lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, when the Pharisees heard, Matthew 22, verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So I, the, if you fulfilled the commandment of the law, you were then getting into the realm of becoming righteous. And, uh, and, and, and there was a whole bunch of things that you had to accomplish before you would be deemed as righteous. And, and righteousness, as we know, is the only qualifying factor for you and I to receive anything from the Father. And then Jesus comes and He gives it to you and I as a gift. But many of us in this room, we're still trying to work for that. See, religion will always try and convince you to work for what God has already freely given you and I. And uh, the lawyer comes... And he says, so Jesus, I'm going to test you. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and that will be the righteous requirement of the law. Can I ask a question? That's Jesus' greatest commandment. And you and I need to be honest in church. Who here in the room has loved the Lord your God with all of your heart, 
with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, all of the time. So according to the law, you'd never be accepted as worthy. So Jesus, he came to the law, and the lawyers were in their boxes, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees were in their boxes, and they were like, I'm going to test you, Jesus. And he was expecting an answer from the law of Moses, and Jesus said, you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. And he says the second is just as important, love your neighbor as yourself. You and I are still trying to accomplish that in our own strength and our own ability without knowing what love is. The old covenant, it was about you loving, it was about you doing, it was about you expressing. And the shift took place when Jesus came and he revealed who the Father was. And after he was on the cross and the resurrection of the dead, it becomes in the new covenant about God loving you and I with all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his soul. You see, friends, the greatest command that we have is to love. But it's impossible if you yourself have never experienced the love of God. So what pace are we going at? Are we even, is it even, even in our minds? The world is so busy, the world is in such chaos, but the command and the request from the heart of God is still the same. There's people around you. You see, this whole deal is about people. This whole thing ultimately was about you and the thought process in the Father's mind of when He knew you were going to come to Him. See, Jesus came in this place. He came in the law, but He demonstrated something so different. In Galatians it says, but when the fullness of time had come, Galatians 4.4, 4, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, Jesus was demonstrating the very reality of the love of God all the time. He was revealing the Father's heart all the time. You see, the law at that stage said if you came across a leper, is you could not touch them. You could not even stand downwind from a leper. And a leper had to wear a sign around him. He had to have a, have a bell. And he had to walk into areas and places and markets and wanting to get food. And he had to ring a bell and he had to cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. And it, that was according to the law. And they thought that was sufficient based around the law says if you had such an infirmity, it was because you brought it upon yourself or your parents brought it upon you. So it was quite legal in those days for them to just leave you and put you into isolation. But Jesus came and demonstrated something else. He said, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And you see, Jesus did that in demonstrating the love of God and the kingdom of God to people. So what did Jesus do? You weren't allowed to touch. You weren't allowed to be in the vicinity. What did Jesus do when that man heard about Jesus and said, he ran up to him and said, if you are willing, 
You see, many of us in this room, I've said it before, we know God is able to change our lives and change situations, but is He willing to do it for me? You see, your worth is attached to do, are you believing that you're worthy enough for God to do something for your life? You see, if we don't understand the perfect love of God and what He demonstrated in Jesus, we're always going to stay wondering, am I, am I okay? Am I close enough? Have I done enough? Have the righteous requirements of the law been fulfilled in my life? But what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, I'm willing, and that word willing is a present continuous tense, which means I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willing. And uh, the Bible says he was moved with compassion, which moved me. I've told the story. You need to go to the toilet in a long car trip, and if you don't go, you're going to explode. It says he was moved in his bowels with compassion. His inner being could not handle it, so he leant forward. He not only touched where he was not allowed to touch, he touched and he said, I'm willing, and immediately he was clean. You see, dem Jesus demonstrated what it looked like. He not only told the level, the highest level of the law, the greatest commandment, he demonstrated consistently why. No one else could demonstrate it because they had not yet had the Spirit of God come and live and abide in them. At that stage, there was the Spirit of God that would rest upon people. They would do the miraculous the Spirit of God would leave, the old covenant prophets. But Jesus was a demonstration of the love of God because He was connected with God. And you see, the hardest question that I even put out here now is, are you willing to slow the pace down, to receive the love of God that can correct your pace. It can change your motive. When you look at the, the woman with the issue of blood, the woman with the issue of blood shouldn't have been in that vicinity. She'd spent all her money, 13 years, all her money gone, heard about Jesus. The crowd was along him. All, all the special guys were around Jesus and they were doing their thing and the disciples were getting their value because of the one while Jesus was working in their own hearts. But she crept through the crowd and she grabbed his cloak and the Bible says that passion left him. She wasn't allowed to do that. The law says that Jesus should have stepped back, should have ridiculed her and he's like, Someone touched me. You see, it's hearing about the nature of God in a dispensation of law and commandments, but you're hearing of the one who's demonstrating possibly the true heart of God. We've seen God. We've seen the law and the prophets. We see God as hard, but Jesus is demonstrating something so different. He's demonstrating so different. Can I come close to him so I can know who he knows? And she touches him with just that mustard seed of possibility. And he heals. And then Jesus again, I love it. He messes with the religious all the time. He goes into the synagogue on a Sabbath. And man, those guys were so stuck up for their Sabbath because Jesus is Sabbath rest. I know we need to rest and I know we need to find our pace and I need that. But Jesus is rest. Jesus is pace. You're responsible for your time of what you engage with. But I do realize this. Going to spend time with someone that you don't really believe is for you, that's pointless, isn't it? 
going to someone who has given his heart in Christ and the demonstration of his heart in everything that Jesus did, it makes it so much easier to approach tomorrow morning, to set your pace, to set your gaze, to, to even sit there and go, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, but I know one thing from your word, maybe yet to experience, but from your word, Father, I know that you love me. It sets your pace, it sets your moment, it sets your conversation. And he goes into the synagogue and a Sabbath and all the Bible says that uh, all the Pharisees and that were following Jesus just to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath. Can you actually believe it? I'm going to go and check if he's going to do good on the Sabbath. So Jesus, knowing it, and I love it because the Bible says he got angered. I get angry about things, and I don't feel guilty about them. There's stuff that happens in this world, on this planet, and decisions of other people. But it says Jesus got angered, and he paused, and he was like, I'm going to do this anyway. He looked at the guy with a shriveled hand, and he said, stretch out your hand. The guy stretched out his hand. The Bible says the Pharisees left. They plotted with Herodians how they could kill Jesus. Because Jesus said, hey, listen, is it uh, good for us to do good or to do bad on the Sabbath? To heal or to let die, in my paraphrased way. See, friends, if we've still got an old covenant view of my response back to God with a heart that's not connected to God, it causes schizophrenia in your own heart to go, I need to love God with all of my heart, all of my strength. And you feel like your life is with white knuckles holding on so tight. But you know what? There's a moment that's going to come in your life and pressure will take you to a default where you're going to lose the plot. However you lose the plot, because everyone here loses the plot somehow. But however you do it, you do it. And guess what? The enemy pounces on that thing, makes you feel guilty, he says, because you have not required and done what the law and the greatest commandment has said. You see, but maybe if we, we come all the way back looking at the life of Jesus, looking at what Jesus did on our behalf and what we could never, ever do, and then looking at the Scriptures with a new covenant lens like we'll do now, Maybe we can grind this thing down and go, actually, if I don't allow myself to be loved by God, people around me aren't going to be loved. My pace isn't going to change. People are not going to become in my awareness. I'm not going to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to be aware of those around me because I'm just trying to hang on. And Jesus didn't want to invite us into the kingdom so we could hang on until we get to heaven. You are that valuable. You are that important. You are that loved. In 1 John it says this. 1 John 4 from verse 7. Beloved. I love John's language. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God by experience. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this 
in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this love, not that we have loved, but God, have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. And that word propitiation means satisfaction. God's satisfied with what Jesus accomplished. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know by experience and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this world. How is Jesus now? Is Jesus perfectly love? So are you in this world. As Jesus is in the context of speaking of love, as Jesus is right now, so are you in this world. It continues, and it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. We love because we've received the love of God. We love because we continually allowing ourselves to be in the love of God. Some of us become bored, numb, disappointed. It's not working out. And listen to that prophetic word is the greatest reminder. Revelation says, let's return to our first love. I've seen your good works. I've seen what you've done. I've seen that you've hated evil. It says, but friends, I've got this one thing against you, that you have lost your first love. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he does not love his brother whom he, whom he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. And this is a commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. But the whole thing of what I wanted to grind it down to, I know my responsibility on this earth, and that's to love my neighbor, and that's to love my family, that's to love those around me, that's to love the nations that he loves. But ultimately, the expression or the pace of that and the release and the attention of that is not going to be magnified the way it should be if I'm not posturing myself into the love of God and allowing myself to receive the Father's love for me. You see, when you receive His love, you see the kingdom of God so clearly. You see your purpose in what you're doing more clearly. You see family more differently. You see faith makes sense 
and hope has roots. It changes your identity, it changes your habits, changes your language, it changes your passions, changes your giving, it changes what you're chasing. And to remind you of what George has said, you become present to his presence. It changes the pace of your life. Your availability for God to love others through you changes. And I came across this story as a conclusion. It says, just stay. It says, a nurse took the tired, anxious serviceman to the bedside. Your son is here, she said to the old man. She had to repeat the words several times before the patient's eyes opened. Heavily sedated because of the pain from his heart attack, he dimly saw the young, uniformed Marine standing outside the oxygen tent. He reached out his hand. The Marine wrapped his tough fingers around the old man's limp ones, squeezing a message of love and encouragement. The nurse brought a chair so that the Marine could sit beside the bed. All through the night, the young Marine sat there in the poorly lit ward, holding the old man's hand and offering him words of love and strength. Occasionally, the nurse suggested the Marine, the Marine move away and rest a while. He refused. Whenever the nurse came into the ward, the Marine was oblivious of her, the night noises of the hospital, the clanking of the oxygen tank, the laughter of the night staff members exchanging greetings, as well as the cries and the moans of the other patients. Now and then the nurse heard him say a few gentle words. The dying man said nothing. He only held tightly to his son all through the night. Sometime before dawn, the old man died. The Marine released the now lifeless hand that he had been holding and went to tell the nurse. While she did what she had to do, he waited. Finally, she returned. She started to offer words of sympathy, but the, the Marine interrupted her and said, Who was that man? he asked. The nurse was startled. He was your father, she answered. No, he wasn't, the Marine replied. I've never seen him before. Then why, did you, why didn't you say something when I took you to him? asked the nurse. I knew right away that there had been a mistake but also knew that he needed his son. When I realized that he was too sick to tell whether or not I was his son, knowing how much he needed me, I stayed. I came here tonight to find Mr. William Gray. His son was killed in Iraq today. And I was sent to inform him. What is this gentleman's name? The nurse with tears in her eyes answered, Mr. William Gray. You see, friends... He could have walked in, walked out, gone according to his orders, but he stayed. He wasn't interrupted. He wasn't disrupted by the pace of his commands. He knew something greater was at hand. And see, friends, if we don't find the grace and the love of God to set our pace, the world is going to set it for us. And the challenge I have won today is will you allow yourself with the time that you have and the time that you give yourself, will you allow yourself again to be postured at the feet of the Father who loves you unconditionally because the people around you will benefit. We love God because He first loved us. Loving our neighbor has to come from a place where you are loving yourself. Your world will change. 
your boundaries will change. Your language changes. Your priorities change. Let's close eyes. The Bible says in John 3.16 that for God so loved the world that He sent His Son that whoever believes in Him will receive eternal life. He died for you and I because He wanted to. He died for you and I because He wanted you and I restored back to the Father. And you might be in this place today and that you've never heard a message that God loves you and He loves you unconditionally. You've never come into that place where you've received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man shall come to the Father, this Father of exceptional, unconditional, unequivocal love, but through Jesus. And if you this morning, you know you're outside of God and you're outside of Him because you have the inability to love because the Bible says when the love of God is in you, you are abiding in God and God is abiding in you. And maybe you're sitting in this place and you're, you understand with clarity that you are not abiding in Him and you're outside of Him. But that's not His desire. His desire is that you abide in Him and you cross the bridge and His name is Jesus. He died for you. He extended grace for you. His mercy, His hand of mercy is out for you this morning. And if you've never come to Jesus in your life before, and this is your moment, and you know that the Spirit of God is drawing you, I want to pray with you and I want to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus that the love of God can abide in you and can change your life. If you're in this place and you've outside of the realm of the kingdom of God, you have not yet come in, I want to pray with you and I want to introduce you to the King and the Lord and the Master of your life, the lover of your soul. His name's Jesus, the way to the Father. If that's you, won't you raise up your hand with every eye closed in this place? If you know that's you, won't you raise up your hand so I can pray for you? Mm -hmm.